Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Star Trek books. They've been around for decades. Join us, the Trek ladies, Kavora and Jen, as we discuss the novels one at a time. Welcome to the Ladies Trek Library. The first book will be Final Frontier by Diane Carey. This is the story of a hero in a moment forever lost to history. It is a tale of Starfleet's early days of a time before the Star Trek we know, the story of a secret mission gone horribly wrong, and an instant in time when the galaxy stood poised on the brink of one final destructive war. It is the story of a ship since passed on into legend and a man we only know as the father of Starfleet's greatest captain. His name is Kirk, Commander George Samuel Kirk. He is a warrior born and bred to battle. Now destiny has placed the fate of a hundred innocent worlds on his shoulders and put the power of the greatest weapon the galaxy has ever seen in his hands. All right, so we know that the book has uh, Kirk's father. Uh, Jen, what are, so what are your um, first impressions after reading the book? Um, I really like this book, and I actually would say this is probably... One of my favorite Star Trek books that I've read, uh, read so far. Um, I mean, I've only read about 65 at this point, so not as many as you have, but, um, I Only 65, okay. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> considering, considering some of the people we know have read hundreds, 65, not that many. But, um, yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite stories. Uh, it's a really good book. Okay, I mean, I really enjoyed it too. Yeah, this one, I think it is uh, one of the best Star Trek books, actually. Um, I do like that uh, we learned some of the history of Kirk's father and about uh, Captain Robert April, who we know from the animated series was the uh, the first captain of, of the first Enterprise, or at least at, at the time before they added the TV show Enterprise. Yeah, I actually didn't, I wasn't really... When I started reading it, I knew uh, George Kirk, James T. Kirk's father, was in it. I didn't know Robert April was in it. Um, but I really enjoyed those sections, getting to know who that character Robert April was and uh, learning more about George Kirk. It, it made it really interesting because, you know, I mean, obviously I like reading the books about Captain Kirk, um, but it's always nice to, you know, when authors take characters that are minor or maybe we've just seen in one episode or two in passing and really develop them. It really gave a lot of history to, uh, you know, the Star Trek universe. And the history was excellent here. Uh, it was very well written. Uh, the other thing, oh, and let me say, of course, we, we are going to have spoilers where we will assume that the people listening have, have read the book. Uh, so, the, uh, this book shows the first encounter with Romulans, which we thought was in uh, the episode Balance of Terror. But this book says, well, there was actually another time that humans met up with Romulans, but but that one was kept off the records. Um, 
that now the way like Star Trek books have done that before, like um, with Strangers from the Sky, where it was the first meeting with Vulcans, which they said, well, you know, this story was kept secret, but this is really the first meeting with Vulcans. Um, it, it's interesting that, that the books do that, but it's good that they have, you know, the freedom to, to write stories like that. Like, well, this is the story that you've never heard. And of course, it's not canon, but we can still enjoy it. Yeah, that is one thing that's great about the stories is that they do have the freedom to do a lot of things that you can't necessarily do in the movies or on the TV shows. That That is great. That's one of the things we like about the books. And that the Romulan uh, commander, the field primus in this book, uh, to sail, I thought he was a great character. Uh, he was... That one thing was he he was interested in plants, right? He had this like his own arboretum in his quarters. That was just a great uh new a new angle that we haven't seen like like just about to any character on Star Trek, just to show something like, well, this guy really likes something that that's different and he he he's an alien, but he knows it's something, you know, plants, it's something we can relate to here on Earth. We know about these things and he, he likes this other form of life yeah i thought he was a really fascinating character and he was one of the you know main reasons i enjoyed the book um of course the other characters as well george kirk and robert april but um i guess to to kyle or to to sale i don't i'm not sure how we pronounce his name but um we really what i really enjoyed about how he was developed is that diane carey built on the romulan world that uh, Diane Duane created in books like My Enemy, My Ally, and The Romulan Way, and she sort of used that as a foundation and introduced this character into that. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when you see a show, or even in some of the novels, you, you know, you just are Romulan commander and you don't really know too much about them, but I really liked how she got right into it and gave us this really vivid description of him on his ship and the situation that he was in, um, which I guess I can go ahead and start talking spoilers now, right? Yeah. We're assuming, okay. So, you know, this situation that he's in on his ship where, you know, he's, he's a bit older and he's a war hero, uh, but, you know, the current government doesn't like him. And so he's been kind of stuck in this position that's supposed to be given to, you know, when, when you're just sort of put out to pasture, and they just kind of want to get, you know, get rid of him. And now they've uh, sent out this young man who's, uh, you know, in with the government to try to sort of undermine his authority on the ship. And uh, so he's sort of in this difficult situation where, you know, members of his crew are torn between loyalty to him and, you know, feeling like they have to uh, do with this guy and I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name either. Ryak? How do you? Um, yeah, you know, I, I guess the readers can always make up how they want to pronounce it. I, I called it Ryak. Ryak. Okay. How you, yeah, but however you say it, yeah. So, yeah, so on the one hand, he has his first in command who, uh, you know, is loyal to him and probably some of the other people would be too, but they fear that if they, you know, are loyal to him, that they could be in trouble or their families could be in trouble because they've got this guy on board who's kind of like a spy and, you know, could do some damage. So, so Takeo is sort of in this position where he's, you know, 
it's a difficult position for him to be in. Yes, and it was interesting how they put in um, the way you said Diane Carey uh, carried out Diane Duane's um, initial view of the Romulans. It had the um, like everything you mentioned that the politics or the um, the backstabbing, the 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 treachery, the intrigue of the Romulans. Um, all of that is interesting, and we we've seen it on the shows, but it was developed much more on the Next Generation, which this book was released in 1988. Uh, the Next Generation started in 87, so we can imagine this book was being written at the time the TNG came on. So I think the writer didn't know how they were going to do the Romulans at the time, but she she did it in a way that, in, in that way, uh, having the Romulans being so so plotting and treacherous was. It, it still stays in character with them, which was great. Um, and, and carrying on what was in, like you said, my enemy, my ally in the Romulan way, um, having, you know, the, the same structure, the Romulans having the, the Praetor and having to sail, as I call him, um, being sort of put out to pasture, which is the same thing as AAL and my enemy, my ally. I mean, she had been doing something Similar because they kind of thought that, you know, they were suspicious of her and so wanted to put her on some assignment where she wasn't doing much. Yeah, very much the same situation as she was in. And, uh, and getting back to what you were saying before, I, I also really like how she, uh, the author, you know, describes, uh, to sales, uh, you know, his passion, which is not, being in charge of this fleet, he kind of looks at it as a, you know, a, an assignment that's kind of beneath him, um, and so his, you know, passion is botany, and his quarters are filled with all these exotic plants, and he spends his time, you know, researching all this, and, and that really was a fascinating side to his character. And another way that, um, something that Diane Carey added to the Romulan structure was the Having a swarm, I mean, that was different. Having like a series of ships called a swarm and to sail was in charge of it. That, that was, um, a new twist on the Romulan military that I liked. Yeah, that was really interesting. The swarm, how there's a, you know, he's basically in charge of a large group of ships who sort of the mothership takes them a place because that, you know, that they couldn't go on their own because they don't have the distance capability and then they all sort of swarm off. Um, that was pretty interesting. And also, I want to mention D- Diane Carey. Um, I saw her at a convention once. She was in at CreationCon Atlanta back for the, the 50th anniversary in 2016. And she's a great speaker. She's a really funny lady. And uh, she mentioned that she used to be a deckhand on on some ships in the past. So she knows about working on a real ship. I mean, and that's great. That contributed to her writing and, and she wrote other Star Trek novels like Dreadnought, which had very, um, very long battle scenes. So she's, you know, really into to the military and this type of writing. Yeah, that is really interesting. That makes sense, uh, you know, as to how she got into the, the all the ins and outs of what's happening, not only on the Romulan ship, but on the, the Federation ships. Um, but getting back to uh, the... To sail, uh, one other thing that I had written down that I thought was interesting. Um, so he has, you know, his 
his uh, second in command who's loyal to him. But just to give you an idea of you know how she depicts the Romulans, as you were saying, with all the treachery and backstabbing, uh, she's loyal to him, but she also never really understands him. And there's like a on page 44 in my book, she says, uh, "How long would she have to know him before she actually knew him?" And that kind of stood out to me uh, as sort of a defining characteristic of him. He's sort of very mysterious, um, you know. She she sort of is she's loyal to him, but she sort of views him and his hobby of botany as you know maybe he's a little crazy. Uh, but but he surprises her because um, in a scene where uh, Ryak comes to his quarters and she's there and they're discussing things. Uh, you know, and Raya kind of threatens him, she's kind of thinking he, he's going to be put in his place by this young guy, and, and he doesn't let that happen. He, you know, he basically hits him and and tells him to get out and tells him off. So, on the one hand, you have this guy who's, you know, really into his plants and sort of, uh, you know, kind of introverted and self-examining, but but he's not afraid to take charge when he has to. That was great. It, it shows that he, like, he's the one in command, and and he deserves it. He earned it. I mean, he, 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 he takes command. He is in charge, and he doesn't let anybody um, get away with threatening him or anything. Yeah, exactly. And another thing about Desil, <coughs> um, it was his insight into humans, and he did say that he had been on a covert mission before where he studied humans. Um. Yeah, that part I wasn't sure about in the book because it kind of, I mean, how how much, you know, this is saying Romulans, some Romulans already knew a good deal about humans even before they supposedly knew which, what each other looked like, but I think he, he must have already known. Uh, but something, interesting things he found out in his study of humans, because uh, he had been on the covert missions, he learned to speak Federation Standard, and he he said that, Humans trust what they can see face to face. That's one of the things he knew about them, which was you, you can kind of see it. Humans are humans like to trust people. It's you know the people in the Federation are a little more trusting than than Romulans are, who are suspicious of everyone. And another thing that Tassel said was, for humans, the emotion that is fed is the one that grows. I mean, I love that too, just the way that that was a great insight that he got out of uh, studying a race that was alien to him. Yeah, and that really just goes to show how, you know, what an intelligent guy he is that he, you know, he's here studying the enemy and he's learned as much as he can about humans, including learning to speak Federation standard to really get to understand his enemy. Whereas when we, you know, uh, meet, Captain April and George Kirk, uh, although April is a pacifist, um, so he doesn't really do Romulans necessarily as his enemy, but, but George Kirk, a military guy, you know, really doesn't know anything about them. And uh, there's a scene in the book where George Kirk is with uh, his friend. Uh, who, they're both security officers, and he's kind of joking about it, and his friend says, you know, that says, you don't even know what a Romulan looks like. And and he basically says he doesn't want to know, and, and his friend calls him a bigot. And, you know, Kirk has sort of made up his mind that he doesn't like Romulans, even though he really knows nothing about them. 
So that's what makes it really interesting when when he and Tassail finally meet, because they're sort of the opposites in that way. You know, Kirk doesn't know anything about Romulans at that point, was pretty prejudiced against them, didn't want to know anything, whereas Tassail had really made an effort to learn a lot about humans. A, a very um, a very good contrast between the two characters. And, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, the thing about George, okay, so now that we're, we're getting into, like, Kirk's father, Jim Kirk's father, George. So George was a security officer, and he he was very militaristic, and he was more suspicious of people. And he was more, a little more like, a little more gung-ho, like, well, let's shoot them, that kind of thing. I mean, it was, you know, very interesting to see him that way. Instead of, uh, I mean, George, even, even though Jim Kirk was a man of action, but he was still, but he was still more, um, a, a little more open to, to meeting people than, than, you know, than, uh, the way George was. Yeah, and I, I think the author definitely tried to make a clear point in, in contrasting George Kirk with, uh, Robert April, who was sort of his opposite. Uh, George Kirk, you know, being a security officer, he's a man of action. He's, you know, a military guy. He's very suspicious of people. He doesn't, you know, doesn't trust people. Um, he kind of feels like action is, is the way to go. Maybe does, maybe sometimes, you know, doesn't think before he acts. And Robert April, total opposite, a pacifist. He's sort of always in his head, uh, hesitating to take action. Uh, you know, like a dreamer, and the author really tries to make a point that really neither one of them makes the ideal captain, and and the ideal captain is someone who can have both of those qualities, who ends up, you know, she tries to clearly point that James T. Kirk embodies both of Robert April's and his father's best traits to make an ideal captain. That's true, and even though we we would probably imagine that Jim Kirk might not have, well, I mean he he wouldn't have seen both of them together to see both of the, how their uh, command styles are, unless he, <coughs> um, I mean unless he read about it, he wouldn't have really known that, but uh, but that is the way he turned out to be, so it's you know it's great that he became that type of captain. Uh, Robert April, and, and we didn't really know as much about April before this book, because he was only on one episode of the animated series, but to find out that, you know, the book says he kind of doubts himself as a commander. He really, he thinks that this, that he's not the type of person that should really be in command of a starship because he's less a man of action. Yeah, and I, one thing that was really interesting about getting to know Robert April was also how Diane Carey portrays these early days of the Federation, which are, it's very different from what we know from the original series, even though it takes place maybe only, you know, 25 or so years prior. Um, you know, we, we see that the Federation is sort of very decentralized. They don't have any large ships like the Enterprise that are on these exploratory missions. They're you know, smaller ships. Um, so, you know, Robert April is not used to being, a, you know, a military type of commander because he's mostly traveling around inside of Federation space um, on, you know, peaceful type missions. 
So it, that contrast was really interesting to see that sort of history of the early Federation. And some interesting things, since this book takes place in in the past, before the original series, so the, the ship they were on was actually the first starship, and, and it didn't have a name at the time. It wasn't Enterprise. It was just it was just a, a what they called a starship, and and they they did mention that the bridge was gray because it hadn't been painted yet. I love that idea too because when we saw you know the cage and um, in that episode that the bridge you know how it was all gray and then later when we get to the man trap it's it's very colorful. So they explain that in this book by saying, well you know it's new it just hasn't been painted yet. Yeah. I love that, yeah. Yeah, that, that, so that unnamed ship, which we, you know, know is going to eventually be named the Enterprise, uh, that's the first ship of its kind. And it's really interesting because they talk about how uh, the Vulcans helped with its design and programming, but they wouldn't give them a specialist to run it because apparently the Vulcans didn't want to be a part of a crew with humans. And I thought that was like a little interesting thing for her to slide in, you know, because supposedly, you know, Spock is the, the first Vulcan to be a part of a human crew and this sort of explaining, you know, why, why that is. The Vulcans just didn't want to mix in with humans. Another thing that worked out well with canon, with, with uh, the show Enterprise, where we find out that Vulcans didn't want to work with humans as much in the past, and so... This explains it, even though this was written written way before Enterprise. Yes. And another thing was this book had, um, it also mentioned a cloaking device, well, where um, they used it as a as a bluff. They said, the, well, the Federation has ships that are cloaked, and then, you know, you know they, they were using that to scare the Romulans. It, it, it was totally fabricated. So, so now we see why, you know, and Tissell said, well, now the Rom, now that, now that the Romulans think that the Federation has a cloaking device, they're going to try to build one. So that sort of explains, like, why they had the cloaking device. Yeah, that was funny. The Romulans, the reason the Romulans developed a cloaking device is because they thought the Federation had one, even though they didn't. Yes, that was a great twist. So, uh, and getting to, we'll just talk about the, the little blurb at the end of the book. So after the story ends and then they, they say what happens to the characters. And so they, they said that George Kirk and Tissale, oh, and of course Tissale became, he, he had plastic surgery so that he looked human, so, so that he could live among the humans. And he became sort of a diplomat and someone who, who gave advice on diplomacy. And, uh, George Kirk was his security officer. They worked together and they eventually went off on a mission together and disappeared and were never heard from again. Yeah. So, well, there's more I want to talk about earlier, but yeah, that part at the end made, left me wondering a couple things. One, was Diane Carey leading up to writing some sort of sequel in which we find out what happens to George Kirk because she sort of leaves it at, oh, and then eventually he goes on a ship and it disappears. But as far as I know, uh, that was never resolved in any of her books. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe I haven't read it. Um, I, yeah. 
I haven't heard of, of any um, anything explaining that anywhere. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to, to look up something, or maybe in, in, in fan fiction, maybe someone wrote something about it. Yeah. So that was that was a little interesting little cliffhanger there that uh, made me wonder about what she was thinking. Um, and then, of course, the other part about how Tassail, uh goes on to uh, live the rest of his life as a human and be a, a civilian consultant for the uh, to the Federation as far as uh, diplomacy. And uh, that so that reminded me of uh, the Romulan way when we have the uh, the Federation spy living on Romulus who eventually becomes a Romulan senator. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know how plausible it is that he could live the rest of his life as a human and no one would notice, especially considering he's, you know, consulting with the Federation. Uh, but that was an interesting little ending, and, you know, it would be great to see if there's any uh, fan fiction out there. I'm sure there may, there probably is about, you know, the, the rest of his life living as a human. Or you could write it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah he could i think he could live as a human just to, as far as getting along with people and talking to people i think i mean he he had enough respect for humans and knew enough that that, that it would work that the problem seems like it would be with if he had any health problems and someone found out he had green blood he would have to have a doctor he could trust that that knew who he actually was you know yeah well that was my thought because they you know, they at first, you know, when he realized he was never going to go be able to go back to Romulus, and that he'd be spending the rest of his life in the Federation, you know, George Kirk is suggesting, well, you know, you could just say you're a Vulcan, um, but quickly realized that nobody was going to buy that he's a Vulcan, considering he, you know, is not uh, trained to suppress his, his emotion and. Yeah, he would have to be a radical Vulcan. Yeah, have plastic surgery and become a human. Um, which, yeah, I mean, he could probably fit in as a human, but you know, the the obvious being, he's going to live a much longer life, and uh, you know, might not be difficult. But might be difficult to conceal uh, that he's not a human if there are any medical issues. But but we can pretend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, what other uh, thoughts did you have about the book? Well, one thing that I really enjoyed about the format of the book, which uh, I read a little bit about how Diane Carey had initially wanted to write, you know, this story with uh, with George Kirk and uh, and the Romulan commander and Robert April, but I think the editors also wanted her to tie it into uh, Captain Kirk. Uh, so the way that she does that is there are small scenes with Kirk, with James T. Kirk, Captain Kirk, where uh, he, the story starts off in the prologue with Kirk uh, reading letters that his father had written him when he was in Starfleet. And he talks about the fact that, you know, although in those times nobody really writes letters through the mail, that his father liked to write letters to his son using a pen and paper because he says, you'll touch the paper and know that I touched it too. So I really, I really enjoy that format. Um, you know, it re reminded me I have letters that my grandmother wrote me when I was younger, and you know, I can now that she's died, I can look back and and see her writing and think of her, and it's sort of the same thing. Um, we don't know in the well, it, it, we know now when Kirk is reading these letters that his father wrote him that his father at that point had been missing for many years, and he didn't know what happened to him, presumed dead. 
So he's sort of like looking back, you know, through yes. the window into his past. And I, and I really enjoyed how, 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 how they worked that into the story. That was a great twist. And it's funny because, and I'm sure Diane Carey wouldn't have known this, but I mean, no one writes letters now. So it, it's old fashioned to us now. And so to read it in this book and to think in the 23rd century, well, I mean, it, it's even more archaic to them. But it, it, it was a, a great twist in the, in the book. Yeah. I, I love that. The fact that he wrote letters and Kirk, Jim Kirk loved reading the letters. Yeah, that uh, that, that made me, it made me think when I first started reading that. It, 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 before she goes on to explain uh, George Kirk's reasoning for writing that way, I'm thinking, oh, in the 23rd century, he's really like still writing letters by hand and mailing them in, on paper. But then she explains, oh, well, you know what? Nobody does this anymore. But but this was a thing that his father liked to do. And it was, and Kirk also used it as a healing process because for him, this took place after. City on the Edge of Forever, where he had lost Edith Keeler. So he was depressed, and so reading the letters helped him. It helped him kind of recover. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, other things that I really liked about this book, um, again, going back to the history of the early Federation, um, so she intentionally, like, as you mentioned, the scenes with the Enterprise being gray and unpainted. Um, in in this one, you know, the the unnamed ship is uh, not even finished, and you know, there's still like open circuitry, and you know, they they have the skeleton crew, uh, and they have this new thing called the library computer, uh, which George Kirk is not really certain about using this library computer. So that was that made me laugh. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Another thing, yeah, something that we kind of take for granted now, and they put it in like, can you imagine what people thought of it back then? Right. And, uh, you know, another thing that she threw in, so this was the, you know, this the reason that this ship is uh, called out on this mission, which we didn't even get into, is that um, some uh, a passenger ship has been stranded in an ion storm, and they can't get out, and no other ship at the time is you know, fast enough to be able to get there in time before these people die. Um, so this is the first ship that really can go to warp, and she calls it, they call it a warp hop, and it's like a brand new thing to them. So that was interesting to see, you know, first warp is a warp hop, and they're all, like, amazed at, that, you know, the ship can go this fast. That was an interesting idea. Um, yeah, so the reason they actually used this ship was because it was, a rescue mission. That's the reason they took the ship out before it was actually completed. Uh, one thing it seems, it does seem like they took, you know, like, I mean, there, so we find out that there's a saboteur aboard the ship and he, um, ca- caused what, what appeared to be an accident that put the ship right in the middle of Romulan space. That part didn't seem exactly like it would, it would have worked because i mean how can he just how can the ship just be instantly in romulan space i mean like like they we don't have ships that fast now you know yeah i agree that was the one little nitpicky thing that i felt like okay um you know so it turns out that the ship has some saboteurs aboard who are posing as scientists but they're actually humans who have been raised in the romulan empire and um you know, Tisale goes on to explain that, uh, 
you know, I guess before the Earth Federation War, there were human colonies that settled in Rom- what is now Romulan space, and uh, they stayed there, and now these are humans who, you know, live as Romulans. And I kind of, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know if I could buy that, but... Yeah, knowing that it, Balance of Terror was supposed to be the first time that the two races knew what each other looked like, it, it didn't, it just, yeah, that part didn't really seem to jive. But I guess that was the only way to get the uh, ship stranded in Romulan space and have the whole rest of the story take place. Yeah, that's true. And and another thing to me, it just seemed like they, they spent so long in Romulan space, it doesn't really seem like they would have been able to, to rescue the, the uh, other ship. I mean, they did. They went back and, and rescued the ship that was stuck in the ion storm. But it almost seemed, I mean, because they kept saying time was of essence, and it seemed like they spent too much time in Romulan space for them to have actually rescued the, the other ship in time. Yeah, they did seem like they spent a lot of time in Romulan space, um, and a lot of time before they even got attacked. I mean, they did try to explain that, you know, most of the Romulan fleet was off on another border, uh, you know, fighting there, and so and they ended up very close to the Romulan homeworld, which was not very heavily defended. And, uh, yeah, that part to me also was a bit... Mm, I don't know if I can necessarily buy that, but, you know, it, it made the story work, so. Okay, um, <coughs> any other thoughts, then? Yeah, well, I, I'm getting back to uh, to Sale. Another thing that I really wanted to talk about with him is that, you know, I think she used him as to sort of also show, so, you know, she uses April and... George Kirk as a way to show if these people came together, look what they can do together. And I think she also uses to sail as a way to show someone who's a great diplomat. And um, there's one thing that he, there are several great things that he says um, that really stood out to me. And uh, one at one time he's having a conversation with George Kirk, who's still very prejudiced against Romulans, you know, um, and, and there's actually this great scene where uh, George Kirk is supposed to meet to sail on the planet, on this planetoid, so that they can sort of have like a, you know, peace conference, I guess, to try to talk about the situation. Yes. They, each, each ship agrees to send someone down. And the first time George Kirk sees to sail, he thinks, and, and he's there with his two bodyguards, he thinks, and the bodyguards have their... Uh, their helmets on, so you can't really see what he look, they look like. And he assumes that Tissail is a Vulcan, and that these two Romulans uh, have taken him prisoner, and he's trying to rescue him. And it's really funny, because Tissail sort of goes along with it, and you know, tries to pretend like he's, he needs to be rescued. And then eventually, based on the fact that he's sort of laughing, George Kirk realizes that Tissail can't be a Vulcan. Oh, I love that scene too. Yes, that that was funny, and that was that was a brilliant brilliant piece of writing there. I thought, yeah, I love that scene. Yeah, that was really good. But once he starts getting to know him, um, you know, he, George Cursor started starts expressing his prejudices about uh, Romulans, and 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 Tissail says this. It's uh, just a great. I'm just going to read it. He says. You assume a bad system is made up of bad people. You forget that greed and power abuse the closest people first, one's own people. My people are the first victims, those who have paid the longest for our ways. 
we no longer have a mechanism for change. Your own history of world wars should prove that to you. A few leaders using drumbeating and patriotic rhetoric to continue the masses of things no sensible person would otherwise approve of. Such powers can make naked evils seem like duty, and people will do that duty unconditionally. My culture or yours, it makes no difference, Kirk. And I think, you know, one, that's the first time that George Kirk really starts to understand that the Romulans aren't just a bunch of bad guys, that a lot of them are good people trapped in a bad system. But I also love that quote because I think, like a lot of Star Trek, it's really relevant to what's happening in our world. And that stood out to me because that was, you know, this book was written over 30 years ago. Um, but even then, reading that quote, it, it's just something that's very relevant even to this day. It shows the great uh, insight that DeSalle had. Um, and so he he had all these great ideas and, and I think he was probably more suited to live among the humans because the humans were more open to, to listening to, to that kind of talk. I mean, he tried to, you know, if he tried to tell that to the Romulans and they, they, they're more interested in, in power and authority. And so, yeah, he had all these wonderful ideas that were just, you know, almost too good for his own people at the time. Yeah. And I really felt like the author did a really great job of, getting insight into the, the pain that he must have experienced, uh, you know, he, you know, being someone who loves his own people and seeing what's happening to them and really feeling powerless to do anything to stop what's happening. Um, and then when he has to witness, uh, well, when uh, Riyadh takes over his ship, he realizes that the only way that could have happened is that his first officer had been killed, and that's very painful for him because she was loyal to him. And then, of course, he has to see the destruction of the entire swarm, his own crew, plus uh, you know some of the crew from these other ships on the swarm, including a friend of his. And uh, you really get a sense of how you know how that must feel like for him. Uh, and he even, at that point, tells George Kirk just to leave him on the planet to die because, you know, he he can't go back to Romulus. and He didn't see anything, any other alternative, right? Right, yeah. So, so living among the humans probably did turn out the best thing for him. Yeah, that would be great to read a story about what happened to him afterwards. I mean, to actually see how, how well he adapted. Yeah. And then uh, another thing that, another great, and that this book, what I love about this book besides the great characters are the, the themes. There's just so many great Star Trek themes in this book. It's uh, Another one is this theme that Robert April sort of has to deal with about whether or not his philosophy of pac- pacifism, you know, whether he can uphold that at all costs because he comes to realize that, you know, if he wants to preserve the ideals that he believes in, sometimes force is necessary and he really doesn't want to use force. But when the alternative is his crew dying, the Romulans dying, he sort of is forced to make that compromise. And, and, it, and it's sort of why he chose uh, George Kirk to, to be on the ship. You know, he had George 
and George's best friend Drake kidnapped and brought to the ship to help him. But uh, he knew that George was the, the type of contrast to his personality that he needed. Yeah. Uh, so they, they both represent the contrast, and uh, it, it's interesting how, you know, he's finally able to sort of realize that, you know, he, he's going to have to compromise, even though he really held out into the end to, to try to not use any kind of force. Um, and then other great themes that I thought in this book were, uh, you know, when George Kirk and Takale are on the planet together, and, you know, Kirk has to sort of overcome his prejudices. Um, that's one thing. Um, some insight that we get from uh, to sail is that he understood right away when when he's still on his ship and they get the communication from the the ship. Well, the ship that will be known as the Enterprise um, and his crew hear this uh, communication from them and they're immediately ready to. Oh, we want to you know attack the ship. And he sort of understands that, hey, you know, when people are using a, this is coming across through a universal translator, that translators don't necessarily capture the true meaning of things. And that intentions, you know, just because you hear something one way does not mean that's really what the intention is with differences in language and culture. And really we should try to communicate with these people one-on-one so that we, there are no misunderstandings because just because we hear something one way does not mean that's what the intention was. Um, so that was a really interesting, you know, insight to understand that differences in language and culture can, can cause misunderstandings even when there's no ill intent. Yes, and he's the one who, who knew that. I mean, he, he understood things so well and the, the relationships between the races. I mean, as, as a military commander, he was just so much more. Yeah. So those are some great, and of course then, you know, we have the, him and George Kirk being forced to put aside their differences to work together, as well as uh, uh, George Kirk and Robert April having to put aside their differences to work together. Um, so that was another great Star Trek theme. Um, and then, of course, the theme of, you know, when, when should we use force to protect the values that are important to us? Uh, so those were all uh, themes throughout the book that I thought were great um, and really made this, like, a very Star Trek book, if that makes sense. Oh, yes, um, it's great. Yeah, the, there were so many different um, angles to the book. It, it, there's so much depth to it, so many levels, so much to talk about. Th- those are all excellent points, Jen. Thank you. Yeah, and then I would like to say about the one thing that I loved about the ending. So, of course, going back to the letters, uh, you know, we have uh, Captain Kirk reading his father's letters, and and one of them ends with that. Well, initially, we should say when he's reading these letters, his father's kind of telling him, you don't you don't want to come out here, and you know you wouldn't like it here. There's not much for kids to do, and uh, that kind of thing. But after he has this experience and. He, he writes this other letter, and in the, in the last letter that he reads says, come out to space, I'll be waiting for you. You know, and so then it just really makes you, you know, I can just imagine Captain Kirk sitting in his, he's reading this in the barn, at his farm in Iowa, and I can just imagine him, you know, reading reading that letter as a, as a boy and, and a man, dreaming of space, you know, going out to space where his father is waiting for him. Yes, that that letter, the one that said, come out here, I'm waiting for you, that's the one that, that changed 
Jim's mind, that's the one that made him think, oh, I well, I do still want to be a captain, of course. Yeah, that, and then the other great thing at the end was that we find out the, the little blurb that we hear at the beginning of Star Trek, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, her five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Those are actually the words of Captain Robert April addressing the United Federation of Planets um, at a time when uh, the uh, Enterprise is being commissioned or actually not when it's being commissioned, when it's uh, being transferred from Robert April to Captain Pike. So I thought that was really cool that uh, she made those words be the, the words of Robert April. Yes, that was great, too. A good way to, to fit it in, the, the segue of transition there. Okay, that was all great. So um, so we both agreed that um, that we both loved the book. We both enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, definitely. I highly recommend this book. Um, one of my favorites, as I said, and just, you know, so many great Star Trek themes, great characters, great writing, great history of both the Federation and Romulus. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long and may the force be with you. Nanu Nanu. Thank you.